Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. Well, here we are in Genesis chapter 11. The chapter gives to us more detail regarding what the previous chapter hinted at. There will be a division. This division is caused by rebellion and the judgment of God steps down into the world in order to confuse men and end their plans. The chapter then closes by narrowing in on the descendants of Shem and how the purpose of redemption and God's plan works its way out through that line. So looking at verses 1 and 2, we're told of humanity huddling together in Shinar, which is southern Mesopotamia or modern-day Iraq. They are being fruitful, they are multiplying, but they are not filling the earth, which is a reminder to us that partial obedience is still disobedience. In reading verse 3, I couldn't help but think of the first generation to read what Moses is recording here. They would have been very well acquainted with making brick in order to build structures created for the glory of man. Looking at verse 4, there are four things to note. They build a city, they build a tower, they try to build a name for themselves, and they refuse to spread across the world. In fact, their whole plan is trying to prevent that aspect of God's will. The tower that they intended to build was most likely what is known as a ziggurat. A ziggurat is a pyramid-type structure in which there are various levels of the pyramid, and each level has a certain purpose. When you get to the top, going by our understanding of what remains of ancient ziggurats from that period, when you get to the top, really, they're endeavoring to create a space, a room where God would dwell. So it's not so much that they're trying to reach heaven. They were smart enough to know you could not do that. But they're creating a space in which God would come and dwell. And by that, by building such a structure, then it would tie man together around that area instead of spreading to other locations. Verse 5 tells us that the Lord came down to see what the children of men builded. And when you look at this verse, you retranslate it, and you can legitimately translate it this way, that the children of men are the sons of Adam. Really, this is just an expansion of what Adam did when he sinned. He's not building something like what they're building here, but he is, he is building a covering for himself. He is sowing fig leaves together, and so... You see, the sin here finds its root in Adam's rebellion. The sons of Adam, in a fallen condition, are trying to build things God never intended them to build. Verses 6 through 8 tells us of God coming and bringing the confusion through languages. And by this, they're forced to part, forced to divide, and to develop their own unique characteristics and skills as they spread to various parts of the world. So from verse 10 through to the end of the chapter, it picks up from the previous chapter in terms of showing us the line that is going to bring forth the Messiah, the line of Shem, his descendants, 
Which of course brings us to Abraham. Now chapter 12 is going to begin with the word that God gave to Abram. But chapter 11 ends with two matters that threaten this coming to pass. God gives a word to Abram and yet first of all his father seems to be getting in the way which I'll not go into in any detail but it seems like he is following Abram's word but taking the lead and so they pause in Haran instead of going all the way into Canaan and then secondly you have the barrenness of Sarai and so these two things seem to threaten the fulfillment of God's word. So we come to application and I have four points of application for you. First of all for the children verse 3 we are told that they said one to another go to let us make brick and so on. And children, this is just another reminder of the influence that we have upon other people. Now, parents, this applies to you as well. None of us avoid the fact that we bear a mark upon other people's lives. We influence other people. And so let me just say to you children, how are you influencing your siblings? For good or for ill? Are you helping them or hindering them? Are you hurting them or encouraging them? Children, you need to learn that you're influencing those around you. Influence for good, especially you older children. Learn to love, to be charitable, caring, and to influence in a positive way. Secondly, we have another global reminder of the folly of man. As if the global flood was not sufficient to show us of the stupidity of sin and the fact that we need to be humble and seek God, we turn away from that reminder and fall headlong into further sin and rebellion against God and God brings another reminder. And so to this very day, not only does the rainbow remind us that God did judge, but now we have languages and these languages function like weeds in the world, showing us that we're living in a fallen world and having to fight and battle with this problem. Now, with regard to our intention, our purpose, God's call upon us as the church, we're trying to get the gospel to every creature. And these languages are barriers. So even today, let me encourage you, because there are missionaries all over the world, this very moment, that have been called to go to regions of the world, and yet they're battling with this judgment that God has brought. Pray that God will help them for the sake of the kingdom, to learn the language and get the gospel to the world. Thirdly, Pentecost, with the miraculous gift of tongues that God bestowed upon the church at that time, shows us that the only truth that unifies man aright is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are all sorts of efforts all of the time to unify men, and most of them are against God. They're, they're not the will of God. Some of them even take on Christian language or Christian-like language. They're, they're more of a social effort to unify man. Be very wary of that. That which masquerades as being of God may not be, but the gospel, the true preaching of Christ crucified to sinners as the only way of life and hope, God does unify around that, and that's a blessing to see in this world. Fourthly and finally, it is hard to miss a contrast that occurs in this chapter and the next chapter. Man, humanity, is trying to make their name great. 
And God comes to Abram and we find in Genesis 12 verse 2 that God is going to make his name great. One God rejects, one God is in. So this, the sportsmen and women and the businessmen and the politicians and all the, the, the famous people of this world that we give all sorts of greatness to that are building things, but Christ is not foundational. He is not central. We try to make much of it, but God is not interested in it. So let us reject that and let us realize if we ourselves, and you young people especially, this stage of your life is so crucial. If you aspire to greatness or success in your chosen craft, if you want to see the gifts and graces God has bestowed upon your life flourish, make sure Christ is central. Jesus Christ taught us in John 12, 26, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. That is greatness. If you achieve all sorts of attainments in this world, men give you great respect, but you have compromised and you have rejected Christ and you're trying to serve God and mammon or worldly possessions, worldly things. At the last day, it will be empty. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Abram understood this. And God would make his name great. While all the Nimrod characters and everything the world tries to build, he brings to nothing. It is of no value. May God help you and help me to build that which lasts.